Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode three of the show, continuing our journey through the adventures of all of our early Marvel heroes. And we are picking up with the first issue of The Incredible Hulk. Yay. So, I don't know about you, but so far we've covered the Fantastic Four and Ant-Man, sort of. Sort of. Um, But this is like the first character for me that's like a favorite you know, like yeah. I don't dis I don't dislike Fantastic Four or Ant Man, but you know, if I if I were to make a top something list, which I've never done, I think the Hulk would be in it somewhere. Okay, so what's uh, what's some of your Hulk history? Uh, well, I'm just mostly the Peter David run is what really got me into him. But you know, I don't know. Are we like the same age essentially? But the uh, you know the TV show obviously, and uh, the Hulk cartoon that came out around the Spider Man and his Amazing Friends era, all that stuff. I mean, it's pretty much Hulk and Spider-Man in terms of Marvel popularity for the longest time until fairly recently. You think so? You think Hulk and Spider-Man have been the top for a lot of their history? I think it's Hulk and Spider-Man when I was growing up because they're the ones who had the movies and the cartoons consistently. Uh-huh. And, that, and that's how the general populace understands comic books generally. Right. So that's why you know everybody knows who Superman and Batman is because they all had movies, right? Uh, so And TV Hulk, shows. And TV shows. So there's Hulk and Spider-Man, and then about the 90s, I think the X-Men started gaining some traction. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, it's blown completely wide open, and people know what Captain America shirts are. But you know. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's crazy that you say the X-Men started getting traction in the 90s, because as I'm doing my X-Men read-through, when the X-Men started getting traction is after their heyday. What do you like, mean Like, Chris that? Claremont oh. left the books. Oh, yeah. And no, then mean, like, they got popular. I mean, in terms of within the comic community, X-Men were, you know, huge with Claremont. Yes. But your average, you know, grocery store clerk doesn't know who Wolverine is for the longest time until, I guess, they start getting comic or uh, cartoons. And then, of course, those movies came out. Mm -hmm. And that's when that starts happening. But, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 1992 in the fall when that cartoon starts. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, if you're really thinking about it, it's not that long until, what, 2000, the first movie? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it 2000? Yeah. It th- sounds like 2000. Yeah, it was one of the earlier uh, Marvel films, you know, to kick all this right. off. So, The the um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man and the first X-Men film were right. like, of each other, I think. Yeah. So for me, Spider-Man and the X-Men are like the big things. And it's probably because I was swayed by all that 90s and early 2000s media right. franchising. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's so how we'll that talk works. more about that as we get to those characters. But, okay, let's get back to Incredible Hulk, number one. And I believe it's my turn. We do this thing on the show where I we have to summarize the book without looking at it. Um, this gets us out of having to do homework of writing paragraph upon paragraph of, you know, pre-written summary synopsis. So it's off the top of your good. head. So it's just off the top boy. of my head. And we'll go with, uh, okay, Incredible Hulk, number one, starts out in the desert at a building that's making a... G bomb or gamma bomb invented by hold on hold on uh, and most of the guys can't find it <laughs> I know I was looking for a joke on that but I couldn't <laughs> think of one leave it to you leave it to you okay yeah you'll be sorry. you'll be in okay. charge of those jokes um, the G bomb uh, invented by Bruce Banner and it opens with him arguing with his subordinate scientist guy named Igor who's really mad that Bruce invented this amazing bomb and didn't really tell anybody how he did it uh, and Bruce is telling him essentially to shut up and be quiet. And as that's happening, the general 
of the army that's stationed there comes in and he's really upset with Bruce too because this this bomb should have been tested by now and how come he can't kill anybody with it yet and hurry up, hurry up. Um, but with the general is his lovely daughter, Betty, who thinks uh, Bruce is pretty awesome. Uh, that deep down inside, he's a, he's a cool guy and she wants to get to know him better. But before all that can happen, um, they're about to test the bomb for the first time. And Bruce notices through the little blaster window thing with his binoculars that he sees a kid sitting there on the test site um, in a Jeep blowing the harmonica. So he tells Igor to delay the launch and goes running out there himself to tell the kid what a moron he is. The kid tells him, this is Rick Jones, by the way, tells him, uh, you know, he was paid by his friends to see if he can sneak past the guards and get onto the secure base and be a rebellious teenager. And Bruce pulls him into a pit just as the blast goes off. So Rick is fine, but Bruce gets it in the back and goes unconscious. And um, he later wakes up in a room with Rick and he assumes that he's there you know, waiting to die, essentially, because he just got bombarded with a ridiculous amount of radiation from the detonation of the bomb, which Igor failed to delay, apparently. And uh, instead of dying, though, it becomes night, and he turns into a big, giant, hulking monster, much to Rick's surprise. The monster doesn't seem to realize he's Bruce Wayne, or Bruce Wayne, wow, wrong podcast. (laughs) He doesn't seem to realize he's Bruce Banner. Uh, instead wonders what's going on, where he is. He smashes through the wall to get out and, of course, runs right into the army who freak out, uh, mostly because he smashes into a Jeep and destroys it. So the Hulk runs away with Rick running after him um, and he decides to go back to Bruce Banner's house. And when he gets there, he finds Igor, you know, pilfering through it, looking for the, the, uh, the plans on how to build the gamma bomb. So he knocks out Igor just in time. And then turns back to Bruce uh, when the sun comes up, at which point the army comes busting in because they've been following Hulk's tracks. And they say, hey, where's the Hulk? And Bruce and Rick say, who? And then, um, gosh, now I'm going to forget what happened next. Well, I think about that time we start switching over to the uh, Russian oh, bad guy. Oh, yes. Plan. Okay. So they arrest Igor because they figure that he's the one trying to steal plans. The army takes the plans. And then Igor's in jail and he's got like this iPod fingernail thing. So he... Uh, <laughs> Love it. He he take he text messages the Red Curtain, some obscure country in the rep behind the Iron Curtain, uh, some communist country. And it's run by some guy named the Gargoyle, who's this hideous, short, bald figure that's apparently very smart and very mean, and everybody's scared of him. And he tells them all about the Hulk, and the Gargoyle's like, what, there's someone like me out there? How dare he? I'm going to go get him. So by way of submarine and then rocket, he manages to get onto the base, just as the Hulk and Rick are wandering around, and or driving around in a Jeep, and Bruce Banner turns back into the Hulk and decides, hey, I think that... Betty lives around here somewhere. Or no, I think the general lives around here somewhere. Or Betty. I can't remember which one he's interested in, but one of them. So he goes over to their house, and uh, before he can bust in, the gargoyle confronts him and shoots him with a bullet that somehow makes him able to control their minds. So now Yeah, he's it's like con- a hypnotism gun. Yeah, or something. hypnotism gun. So he's controlling the Hulk and Rick Jones, and he takes them back to behind the red curtain by way of raft and then some sort of awesome jet that can 
penetrate the space barrier. But when he does that, uh, Bruce Wayne is exposed to the sun again. Bruce Wayne, damn it. The Hulk is exposed to the sun again, turns back to Bruce Wayne, and the gargoyle's like, what? Where's the Hulk? Oh, man, that sucks. And then the gargoyle talks about how hideous he is and all that, and Bruce Banner goes, you know, I can't cure my Hulk problem, but I'm pretty sure I can cure your issue. You'd be dumber, but you'd look normal. And the gargoyle's like, yay, let's do that. So Bruce Banner cures the gargoyle. And the gargoyle's so happy, he decides to not be communist anymore and lets Bruce Banner and Rick escape. And as they're escaping, he blows up the facility and commits suicide because he was happy that he got to be human for, you know, five seconds. And then Bruce and Rick fly back home. You can almost hear, I'm proud to be an American. (laughs) Right. Because at least I'm pretty now. So, man, that was a really dense story, and it seemed to take forever. But that's the first issue. Yeah. Um, So, Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay, so if you're one of the five people listening to this who doesn't know, the Hulk in this issue is not green. No. He is not green. The Hulk is gray. He is gray. And I've never read the Peter David run, where they bring the concept of the Green Hulk back into continuity. The Gray Hulk, yes. I'm sorry, the Gray Hulk, yes. Yes. Hey, you can't talk, Mr. Bruce Wayne. Oh, I know. How many times am I going to say that? Um, <laughs> so what, so what, I, what I understand is that they, uh, they used to reprint this issue and make him green. Oh. Until Peter David brought it back as a concept that, no, he actually was really gray and that wasn't a mistake. Okay, I was not aware of that. That's kind of cool. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I was just reading that somewhere. But... Um, so having read the Peter David run, what is the, in 47 million words or less, what is the Gray Hulk? Well, in 47 million words or less, uh, Bruce Banner has multiple personality disorder okay. um, because his father was a violent man and very mean and also killed his mother in front of him when he was a baby. Um, Shit. So that's where all the, the angly, horrible Hulk movie got all that from, by the way. Um, so he'd always had been a... A mental case. And as you, if you read this, he kind of does seem like a guy who's really reserved and doesn't really have any emotion or anything. Mm-hmm. Like he never gets mad at Igor or he never, he doesn't, he, I, w- I was going to call him a meek, mild mannered person, but I don't even know if he's that. He just seems like a really held together person. Um, and the idea is that the gamma explosion manifested his already multiple personalities, but also gave them all physical forms. So the Green Hulk is like his childhood, his child, uh, personality acting out when he gets angry like toddler rage yeah toddler rage essentially and the gray hulk is like his adolescence where he wanted to just do what he wanted to do and like make out with chicks and you know steal cars and stuff but instead he was always like no i have to be this perfect kid because my dad will beat me and i'm supposed to go to college and all this stuff so so like the gray hulk became what they later called joe fix it and all that and but that's like so many issues from now and they probably already undone it for all i know so but that was the idea that it's actually I doubt they've undone all that. They may not address it as much anymore, but I, I doubt they would undo the um, Peter David. Yeah. And it really doesn't – well, it does explain some things, but as we'll see by issue two, he's the kind of the same Hulk but green. So, you know, he's still not the child Hulk smash Hulk for a long time. Um, right. It's probably one of those retcons that kind of fits in vague outline but doesn't really fit if you pay attention yeah. to all the details. Right. But if you want to know the reason as far as from a printing standpoint, they wanted to pick a color that wasn't a race-specific color. Uh, you know, so don't make a black monster or a 
brown monster, and I've already done an orange monster with the thing. So they were like, green or gray? And they picked gray, but by the end of this issue, the colorist was like, oh my god, gray was the worst decision we made. I hate painting, I hate painting this guy gray all the time. Yeah, so. I understand it's really difficult. And if you look through a, a scan of the original, which the scans of the originals you can get legitimately because they were published, although I think it's out of print. Um, but yeah, the gray is really inconsistent. Sometimes it's more mm-hmm. blue, sometimes it's less. And so, or green. <laughs> Even in this yeah. first issue, there's a couple green panels that could just be the trick of the light. But yeah. So it's probably just easier to make him green. Yep. And also, if we're talking about his looks, because the first page is a nice pinup of the Hulk. It says the coming of the Hulk, you know, and talks about how mighty he is and everything. But he's not the Hulk that we kind of think of now as this, you know, eight foot tall towering behemoth. He's more like, you know, kind of Frankenstein like, mm-hmm. like a person, like he looks like he's not even as strong as the rock is now, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. So he does like, look like, I mean, he's more normal proportionally. Yeah. Very normal proportions. His head and face aren't even really very monstrous at all. No. Um, He's got big hands. I was kind of struck by that when I was reading this because he just looks like a muscular dude. Yep. Like super muscular, but just a muscular dude. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. We talked on the last previous episodes about how Marvel launched the Fantastic Four as a monster book. Uh Uh-huh. And now we have this, which is just straight up a monster book. Yep. More monsters. So Fantastic Four started out as like freaks and they were fighting monsters and then we had the ant-man story with the whole oh my gosh science gone wrong monsters and now we have a superhero monster even though he's not really a hero but uh yeah so i wonder if they like not knowing where stan's head was whenever all this was coming out i wonder if this was even conceived as a superhero in the universe with marvel's fantastic four at the beginning or if it was just conceived as an ongoing monster story. I don't know. Because I don't know if you have any ongoing monster stories. No. In and comics. It, and it is a Incredible Hulk book. It's not, you know, Amazing Monsters. Right. Um, but they don't mention the Fantastic Four. And they do talk in the beginning here about how brilliant Bruce Banner is. Like, he's the smartest man on the planet. Mm-hmm. And no one says, oh, what about Reed Richards? You know, so... Um, Maybe it's not supposed yeah, this, to be. Yeah, in, in the second issue, the the Toad Men even like Target, the most intelligent brain. Right, right. So maybe they're not looking to make a universe yet. Um, I have heard him say that one of the reasons he wanted to create the Hulk was because the thing was so popular right away. Uh huh. So he's like, "Oh, I'll make another big monster who has problems and doesn't want to be the monster." You know. Right. Only this one changes back and, and forth. I, I remember, if I remember right, in the in the. Uh, letters columns there was some complaint about thing and hulk and then later beast being so similar mm-hmm. so trying to distinguish them thing became more lovable beast became more intelligent and hulk became well for a while hulk wasn't even being published but yeah. hulk became more infantile when they brought him back yeah i'm, I'm curious uh, to see when that happens because i've read some of these early hulks but i've never really read it to the point where you see the transition from you know, guy who can complete full sentences to Hulk smash, you know, rock man or whatever. So, right. We'll see where that happens, I guess. I think I'm pretty sure we're going to see that in the Tales to Astonish run whenever he comes okay. back. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely a monster book. And it's, of course, tragic, which I think is what Stanley wanted to do whenever he, you know, the, the, the tagline of Fantastic Four is that they were the superheroes that Stanley felt like he wanted to read and had never been done before. Yeah. 
and he brought in human foibles and a team that doesn't get along and all this stuff. And here we have the Incredible Hulk, a monster who um, converts back and forth between his human form. Yeah. And so this guy can't live a life because he's hounded as the Hulk. Yeah. And if you like, like you said about the letter pages, there's a bunch of them in Fantastic Four, like praising how like these heroes are realistic, you know. Which by today's standards, they're not really. These are 1960s books, so you know, mm-hmm. obvi- obviously, storytelling now is even more modern. But at the time, I guess if you compare this to whatever else was going on at the time, it's like wow, these superheroes have problems, like real problems, and. Mm-hmm. Or even real fake problems, but, you know, they don't actually want to have these powers, some of them. Or, you know, we'll get to Spider-Man, but, like, there's a guy who has money problems or, you know, whatever. So, apparently it was a very popular approach. Getting into the story, Betty Ross, right? Mm -hmm. Ross. Mm -hmm. Yes. Betty Betty Ross and her dad show up. Mm -hmm. And do you get the feeling that Betty is meeting Bruce here for the first time? Yes, for sure. Like, maybe they've talked before, and certainly his attraction to her blossoms really quickly in a story, but that could just be storytelling foibles of the 60s. I'm not entirely sure they've met before today. Or if they have, it's certainly not informal yet, because she calls him Dr. Banner, and he calls her Miss Ross. and Right. You know, that that's the boss's daughter. Um, Which, why is she here? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he just lives here or something. He does live here. We know that. So, I guess she's underage? Well, I get why... I get why the, you know, the general's here, but why did he bring his daughter? I don't think she's underage. No. Yeah, she doesn't seem like underage, so I don't know. Maybe she's a, you know, I don't know what happened to her mother, but maybe she's a little clingy to dad because of mom gone or something. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but she's very nice, and she really likes Bruce. You could tell right away. And he's kind of just like whatever about the whole thing. Um he does seem very stoic and reserved and uh, impersonable in this first scene. Yes. Just, you know. I and mean, look at his face on the, the I guess it's panel five of the first page, where he's sort of looking down a little bit. That uh-huh. is just like a, I have no time to be social. I mean, because the thing is, like, he's not reacting to a bunch of things going on here. He's got Igor telling him, you know, you don't have to follow... Professor Reinstein's whole, uh, you know, don't tell anybody the secret of anything approach, <laughs> right? Because that, because that is definitely how science works. Yes, scientists never say, no one yeah. ever checks your work. Yes, apparently Bruce Banner just built this entire missile all by himself, you know, out of out of a box of scraps in a cave. Yes, and so we got Igor screaming at him, and he's just like, okay, whatever. And then he's got Thunderbolt Ross, who's really good at screaming, like mm-hmm. right in his face, and he's just like, shrug, yeah, okay. And then, you know, Betty's like, hey, hey, Bruce is really awesome. He's super smart and really good looking. And I hope to be his, her, 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 his uh, wife someday. And he's just like, shrug. Yeah. Okay. So like, he's not, it's not that he's meek or like a Clark Kent type even, because Clark would probably look scared if a general was screaming in his face, you know? Uh, Depending on when you're reading, because around well, this sure. time, that was a lot more of a reputation than an actual thing that happened. Well, okay, Clark's a bad example because Superman would not be scared of General Ross. But like an actual, <laughs> an actual nerdy person or a person who was bad at being social or a person who was, uh, you know, like your average person reading this comic book would probably be, you know, sweating bullets if a general was screaming at him. And Bruce is just kind of like, eh. Well, not to get ahead of ourselves with next episode, but Peter Parker would probably, I mean, he's not going to be in charge of a missile thing, but a young high school kid would be like cowering in his boots right now. Yeah. Yeah, be right. So for being a a milksop that Thunderbolt Ross's 
claiming he is. Yes. He's not backing down from anybody. No. He's also not getting angry, though, either. He's kind of just like, I'm building my missile, and you guys are all just noise. Right. So then Rick Jones shows up, and he is such a, a smarmy cat. I I don't hate Rick Jones. No, you but can't. I, 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 I hate the character that he is before, like, just in these two panels before the explosion. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't think, like, in these early issues, I don't think um, writers, I guess Stan in particular, knew how to write kids necessarily, mm-hmm. you know? Um, they'd always do these really over-the-top uh, styles of outfits and, and language as if this, you know, I know what I know what the Hepcats are saying, you know, whatever. So it's just... Uh, it never comes off very well, I don't think. Yeah. But he's he's definitely a teenager. Yes. Um, and unlike 20 years earlier with Bucky, he's a teenager who's not being portrayed and written as if he were 10. No, he's not short and he has a car and yeah. Because I think that's one of the reasons I tend to think of Bucky as being so young is they just really juvenilized. Oh, yeah. He looked like he Non-adults. Was yeah. yeah. But he was a teenager at the time. Yeah. Um, so so this, the ex- this whole business of, you know, Bruce Banner running out there all by himself and telling mm-hmm. Igor to delay it, not to just turn it off. You know, Bruce could have just turned it off and told the military to go arrest Rick Jones, right? But it's like, press the delay button. That'll give me 20 seconds longer or something, which, of course, Igor didn't do. But um, this whole business, that and the fact that Bruce Banner is creating what's essentially a better atom bomb are all things that kind of go towards the whole, like, uh, we can't do this in cartoons and movies for an origin anymore. It's dated. Just like, yeah. the, fan- just like the Fantastic Four and their space race origin. It's kind of, like, right. as iconic as all these issues are, and it's introducing all these characters that we know and love. It's like, man, Stan just came up with some stuff that, that doesn't translate. I do like the interdimensional travel for Fantastic Four and being in a position where that's sanctioned and they're just trying to do something cool. I mm-hmm. like those as acceptable modernizations of the Fantastic Four. So, yeah. um, or in the case those of are elements Hulk, of of the idea that the movie I think did did well. The Hulk, the current Hulk, is a byproduct of trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or like that that, that came from the Ultimates, I think. And then uh, it did. And then uh, in the TV show, he was experimenting with adrenaline and how that creates super strength, possibly in people. Because mm-hmm. there's always those stories like you're caught in a fire and you rip the door off. Um, and so that kind of made sense to me, too. Adrenaline. His adrenaline gets higher. He turns to the Hulk, you know. But anyway. the um, I've always been freaked out by the hours of unending screaming. It's a really creepy story beat. Is that what that says? Wow. I just. Yeah, yeah. it says his ear splitting scream fills the air next panel and he is still screaming hours later that's crazy it's really freaky um yeah i love it yeah yeah i love all this like you know even if a story is bad and i'm not saying the story is bad but even when it is you know any sort of hulk transformation is always a lot of fun Mm -hmm. Uh, of course this is the first one they got the geiger counter on him and it's clicking away and he just transforms and blows through the wall and even in the recolored version for the uh, digital Marvel Masterworks, Hulk's gray is definitely in the blue end of the spectrum. Yeah. It's it's a grayish blue. It's like a steel blue almost. See, he's so he's not much bigger than Bruce Banner because you see his clothing is like 
still pretty much intact. He loses his sh- his sleeves on his shirt, and that's about it. Right. He's still got his shoes on. Still has his shirt, his uh, pants. But the whole like massive man mountain thing that gets mm-hmm. to you know in, in more modern renditions yeah. is just not the thing here. No. Um, and actually, when I think about seventies Hulk, I think of him as being like bigger than a person could be, mm-hmm. but not like I know. Well, that's but I just, think even then he's supposed to be like eight feet tall. And they just never draw him that way. That's just immortal characters for you. They just get bigger and better. You know, the thing also, like we're reading right now, he looks fairly normal size, but I know he's going to get much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know Rick Jones's backstory. Is he an orphan? You know, I don't really either. So I guess we'll find out together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> but this, you know, we all know Rick Jones as the uh, professional sidekick. So this is his first sidekick job, at mm-hmm. least that I know him. Um, I like that he sticks with the Hulk. Uh, have they called him the Hulk? When do they call him the Hulk? When he hey, first... It's in part two. Okay. So, yeah, now, I like you mentioned you mentioned that Rick Jones is a professional sidekick. Yeah, I know of three. Me too. I know that he's um, he's the Hulk sidekick. Yep. He's Bucky for two seconds. Yep. But he pals around, pals around with Captain America as not Bucky for a long time. Mm-hmm. And also he's Captain Marvel. Right. Are which, there other which, places that we know of? Which Captain Marvel is kind of loose on the sidekick. They're more like sharing space. but uh, Yeah, but he's, I mean, yeah. he's the alter ego. He's well, I know he goes character. back with Hulk multiple times, so there's that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's ever sidekicked with anybody else, but that's three. That's a lot, really. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that that's not enough, but I just wonder if there were more. I don't know, but definitely those three. Um, but I think it's cool. Like, yeah, he is annoying in the Jeep, uh, you know, ruining Bruce Banner's life and all while playing the harmonica. But I do think it's cool that he follows him around once he becomes this scary monster. Like, most people probably would have ran the other direction. Right. But he's like, oh, you're like that because of me, and this is going to suck for you, I could tell. So I'm going to just hang out and hope you hope I can convince you not to do anything too bad until we figure this out, you know? Which also goes the way I think maybe he's an orphan, because he obviously has nobody he's accountable to at this point. Yeah, really. Where's his parents, right? Right. Yeah. He, he gets the teen brigade together later. Maybe he's already 18, 19. Maybe he's already out on his own. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was kind of sad about the Hulk because his first thought when he comes into existence is to get out, to get away and to hide. That's all he wants to do. Yeah. Get out of my way, insect. Where am I? Why am I locked in here? I want to get out. Yeah. He tears up the the wall and just like, he wants to go have to get away and hide. It's just, it's just sad. Yeah. So it's like, he knows he's a monster, but he doesn't think of himself as Bruce Banner for sure. And that takes us into part two, because these were split up into parts, and the army is hunting for the Hulk. So he goes um, to Bruce Banner's house. So here I am saying he doesn't think of himself as Bruce Banner, but that's really the only ma- motivation for going back to the Yeah, house. the narration says, driven by sheer instinct, yeah. the part of the Hulk, which is still Bruce Banner, heads for a small cottage. Mm-hmm. He has to get the formula, but he's not consciously aware of why or reasoning out the, the concept behind it. He just knows. Right. It just feels like... Gotta go do this. That's because little Bruce Banner's in the back of his mind telling him to do it. Yep. Um, and there's Igor. He who knows. Yeah. Is Igor? Yep. But see, look, Igor's like shooting him, and he grabs the gun and he crushes it, and he says, "Oh, that's impossible. You aren't human." And he says, "Human? Why should I want to be human?" So he doesn't even think of himself, much less as Bruce Banner, but not even as a human. And is he bulletproof? Yep. I put a thirty-eight slug in your shoulder, and still you advance. Is he bulletproof, or is he just? 
It's a really um, inconsequential wound. You, you know what? I'm going to say the latter because later when he turns back to Bruce Banner, they're like, oh, what happened to your shoulder, buddy? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good um, consistency in the art and storytelling there. He's holding his shoulder when they bust in, the army busts in, and he's back as Bruce. I didn't even notice that, but you are so right. Yeah. So it probably, like, stings, maybe? I don't know. Obviously, didn't stop him. Um, And then he sees Bruce's face. And I th- I think that, you know, of course, all the stuff that you were talking about earlier with, with uh, Bruce Banner's psychology and everything else comes mm-hmm. out later. But I do think there's a lot of really neat stuff laid in the foundation here, like Hulk's hatred of Bruce's face. Yeah. It hints at so much. It's a great psychological storytelling beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, they won't really go back and explore what that means until later, but I love it. So essentially, Stanley, by his own admission, took part Frankenstein, part uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, put them together. Yeah, and, and werewolf, because this is all happening at night. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know about whether Dr. No, Dr. Jekyll, he drinks a potion? Or... I've never read that one. I don't know. But I'm assuming the whole I hate Bruce Banner part comes from Mr. Hyde hating Dr. Jekyll? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But it works from a psychological standpoint, too, that they both hate each other, and yet they're the same person. Um, you know, I haven't read a whole you know bunch of the Hulk, mm-hmm. but my impression is that Hulk usually does not connect himself to Bruce Banner, like right. in his mind. Right. And so when he does on page 11... Um, mm-hmm. You're the only one who knows who I really am. And he, in the first panel, he says, I remember now the, the gamma rays turned me into this when darkness fell. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be like a, example, a, a pretty rare example of the Hulk connecting himself back to Bruce Banner. And maybe it's part of the change because the sun is right. coming out. I was just going to say, I mean, you could argue that Bruce is coming back at that point. Yeah. I just thought of that while I was talking. Because he's like, I remember. I remember now. So it gets to the, unless you have something more about the Hulk, it gets to this bit where the army comes in and they see Bruce Banner standing there with a wounded shoulder and ripped clothes. And they're like, where's the Hulk? And he's like, the Hulk? Who's the Hulk? I don't know what you're talking about. And the soldiers are all like, yeah, he's a like a gorilla or a werewolf or a bear or something. And they're like, okay, we'll keep looking, right? Um, I kind of feel like Betty knows something. Yeah. And I don't know. They'll probably never confirm this, but like she's really concerned about him. Like, everybody else just leaves. Mm-hmm. And she's and he's not acting... I mean, he is sitting on the couch holding his head. So I guess there's reason to be concerned. Well, he starts crying. That is true. Which... He, he does start crying. Um, the, whenever I read this with Lily for our Avengers show, I kind of jokingly interpreted it as being very off-putting. Like, he starts crying there on the couch, just collapses. And she's like, um, you're you're sick. You, you need some medical care. And if you need me, I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it actually is meant to play that way. I think she's concerned, but she can't help, so she's going to go. Um, well, he does tell her to leave. Yeah. Um, but I think later, like, I don't want to necessarily jump ahead, but, like, when she's talking to her dad later, she's like, I can't shake that look in Bruce Banner's face, and there's something wrong, and I'm going to go for a walk and convince myself that there's no Hulk and all that. I don't know. It just feels like – I'm not saying she's connected the dots, but she seems, like, smarter than the entire army. In terms yeah. of, like, there's something going on there. And she has, sadly, you could very well be right, and they just never really follow up on that the way they would nowadays when it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, over the next several issues, she's going to have occasions to connect Bruce and the Hulk, and she's just not going to do it. No. Um, 
So that takes us to Gargoyle, if you're ready. Yeah. So, um... So this is where Russian just, spy dude earlier is in jail and contacts the gargoyle on his on his iPhone fingernail. <laughs> this is where it's like I, I don't know. Like I'm not saying this part of the story is bad. This might make another issue interesting. Another uh huh. An- another a story for another issue is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's just it's like, like this is a complete pages. derail. Yeah. Oh man, that I mean, and you notice like no one ever flashes back to this stuff. <laughs> Well, no, yeah. the gargoyle has a brother or a son or something that shows up later. Well, I don't mean maybe maybe they talk about the gargoyle again, but if they're talking about Hulk's origin and they think back on it, oh, and then later the gargoyle kidnapped me. Remember that, Rick? They never say that. <laughs> never, because this is just like, man, we got more story to tell. I'm remembering the uh, the Fantastic Four Bible and how it was, uh, or the plot for the first issue, and how he like stipulated how many pages mm-hmm. it was supposed to take. And so yeah. we have a 14-page Hulk origin. Yes. And the comic could have ended there. Yes. Depending on their publishing plans, mm-hmm. they could have ended the comic there and done, you know, some little silly short stories. Right. But instead of doing 10 pages of short stories, they do 10 pages of more story. So I get the feeling that this is actually conceived of in two separate chunks. When it, yeah. I, maybe it's maybe at some point they were planning on doing this as an anthology, and then they're like, "Well, no, let's give him his whole book." Fantastic Four is selling; Hulk will sell. Exactly. That. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and they didn't try and just stretch this origin story out or something. They just went right for a whole new like direction. But right. well, I was gonna say I was gonna say, but at least it's not a monster. But I guess the bad guy's name is Gargoyle, and he's kind of a monster. But yeah, he's very much a monster, and and. I kind of hate the whole ugly as evil coding that we get throughout this part <sighs> oh, of the story. Yeah. And also, I mean the communist thing. Like they don't And and his and his his like physical stature and everything, the fact that he's a, he's a little person or Well, that's interesting cuz like there's this whole build up of how scary he is and nobody mm-hmm. wants to deliver this, you know, iPhone message that Igor sent them um, cuz they're afraid of him, so they slide it under the door. And then it turns out he's like two feet tall. It's like, well, what's so scary then? Is this because he's so smart? He knows how to torture people really well or. Yeah. I think it's a combination of his deformity and his, his obvious facial deformity. Yeah. He's probably just really, really wretched to look at. Um, but also the idea of him being as powerful as, or more powerful than the Hulk. Mm-hmm. I don't even understand that a little bit. Cause yeah, that's that, the message. Yeah. In right. America, there exists a creature called the Hulk whose power almost matches mine. Right. So either Igor's really bad at messages or <laughs> or yeah. this guy thinks somehow equates physical power with mental power and they're somehow equal or the same. I don't know. Um, Betty Banner. Well, okay. So I kind of skipped over a little bit. We go through the whole thing with him sending a missile or being in a missile that comes over to the States. And Bruce and Rick are driving at twilight as the sun goes down and bruce is behind the wheel talking about hey what if i change again tonight yeah the whole reason they're in the car is because he wants to drive out in the middle of nowhere where the hulk can't hurt anybody but it's like it's rick's car no it's not it's a jeep it's a jeep but maybe it is rick's car i don't know either way he knows how to drive obviously it can be Rick's car because Rick's car was caught in the explosion. True. Okay. So, but, but Rick can drive. Obviously, he can drive because that's how he got there in the first place. So, yeah. Why not let Rick drive? And why not leave earlier? Because it happens right outside of General Ross's house, essentially. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like he didn't get very far. You are in a desert. <laughs> you are in a desert, and you they left you alone by let's say noon at the latest. Could've. Well, they've been out. They went to friendlies. They had a burger and some shakes. <laughs> That's true. It makes it, it you know turn into a monster makes you hungry. So right. But I was thinking about when we get back to the the Ross house, how mm-hmm. little identity Betty has in these early issues. Yeah, she is one man's daughter. And another man's paramour, and those are her only defining characteristics. I know, but is it sad that I still like her anyway? Or maybe that says something about me. I don't know. But there is Do you something... like her through the filter of later Betty? Maybe. This is definitely a different Betty than later Betty. Uh, I don't know. I think I like her concern about Bruce where no one else seems to care. Mm-hmm. That does help. Um, so, But maybe that's just me like liking the idea of a pretty girl think, con- being concerned about me. You know, that's just the nerdy lens I'm reading this through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's just something about her. I hope they give her more to do than just this, though. You're right. This is, I mean, she's basically there to faint. This yeah. entire scene is actually unnecessary because uh, she goes outside to smoke. Okay, I'm lying about the smoke. But she goes outside to get some fresh air and think about poor Bruce Banner and that face that she saw on him crying on the couch. And then the Hulk shows up and she faints. And then the gargoyles there and takes the Hulk and Rick Jones away and leaves her. Oh my God. You could remove page 19 from the story. Yeah. Pretty much. Page 18 can go straight into page 20. You're right. Interesting. Except Um, for establishing that, you know, she's scared of the Hulk and likes Bruce Banner. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have a whole lot else to say. They go back to Russia and they solve. Um, so the gargoyle figures out on page 22. Yes. In five seconds. What the leader <laughs> cannot figure out. Yeah. The first time he runs into the hole. Well, the gargoyle is pretty much the exact same thing happens. Yes. And the leader doesn't know what's going on. Right. I mean, it's impossible not to figure out in this scenario. I mean, Hulk is in the plane and then Bruce Banner is in the plane, you know, like mm-hmm. how could you not figure that out? I mean, it's wearing it's his crazy clothes, sauce, but it's the only thing that works. Right. Um, but I like that. I mean, it's a little heavy handed in a message like, you know, these, mm-hmm. these commies did this to me and I'm going to, you know, yay America. And, you know, he turns on his enemies, but you do feel a little bad for the gargoyle when he starts crying. And it's like, it turns out that the reds like actually turned him into this. This hideous figure that nobody wants to look at. Um, and so he's so grateful that he gets changed back that he like commits suicide to let them escape. That's kind of patriotic American suicide. Right. So, I don't know. puts a little heart in the gargoyle where otherwise he's just kind of your typical, you know, monster character. Yeah. And the story ends kind of abruptly. Like, we have our supporting cast, but we don't, like... We don't return our characters to their lives. They're flying no. away from the explosion. Actually, it's very much like the end of the Fantastic Four number one. Right. They're flying away from blowing up the enemy. Yeah. I just feel like Stan doesn't quite know what he's doing yet. He's got he's got things going, but he's just... <laughs> I mean, the way this story started in this last panel where they're in a rocket and like, that's the end of the gargoyle. It's like, wow, how did we get there already? Mm-hmm. And perhaps the beginning of the end of the Red Tyranny, too. So it's not, no. it's not no, it's great. Not. Like all these comics are kind of like, they're really great in that they're introducing us to this new universe and all these characters we love. But at the same time, if you look at the stories, they're kind of just like, eh. In some spots. In some yeah. spots. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I, I'm a big fan of the first 14 pages of the story. Yeah. So maybe Stan's better. Maybe Stan was used to writing one story at a time and wrapping it up. 
and now that he's trying to branch out and you know give entire issues dedicated to one character he's having trouble filling it or something or or the storytelling structures that work in short stories are less effective in ongoing sagas. Yeah. Because an abrupt ending like this would be very appropriate for a five-page story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's it's less appropriate for the end of a 24-page story. Yeah. That's going to supposedly lead into the next one. So you look at all those like Golden Age characters that were introduced, and they're all introduced in, in short stories, essentially. Mm-hmm. So they have the benefit of not drawing out too long, you know? Batman comes in, gets the jobs done, he leaves. Yay, first issue, right? Right. This is like Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk, and I don't know what to do. So, uh, commie scare? That works. <laughs> so there aren't really any character notes so much to go out on here. Um, Bruce Banner is becoming the Hulk at nighttime like a werewolf. Yep. Uh, he has no idea what to do about that. It's happened twice. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, shit, when it happens. And Rick Jones is along for the ride. Um, issue two will continue their d- the development of how they handle and respond to this problem. And I like that when we get there, either later this episode or next episode. Um, I like how that is continued on. And by the way, just to go back again, 300 issues into the future, the whole MPD thing. Did I do that right? Multiple personality M- disorder? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason he turns at night is because he's ashamed of that personality. Oh. So nightlife Hulk comes out. And daytime, daytime he hides. So anyway, and then of course, Angry Hulk comes out because he's angry. Um, any other thoughts on Hulk? Nope. All right. Well, we are giving you as many Marvel comics as we can in an hour, which means it's time for the Fantastic Four number five. Yay. And you asked me last episode, why do I get all the good ones? I don't know, but I'm so glad I have this one. And you get the Toad Men. <laughs> I know. I was thinking the exact <laughs> same thing. And I get friggin' Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. Um, so, the Fantastic Four number five. Oh, maybe we should talk about, like, when these books come out. Um, oh, yeah. We don't really do a whole lot with the credits and everything, but it is kind of nice to sort of track. Well, the credits so far have been Stanley and Jack Kirby. Right. <laughs> so that's easy. But um, Hulk, Hulk came out in March of 62. And this, and this is April 10 of 62. April 10 of 62. So they're both bi-monthly. And between the two of them, there's a, uh, there is now a book coming out every month. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the last bi-monthly issue of Fantastic Four, though. Okay. Okay. So um, just looking at the cover, not looking at the inside of the comic. The Fantastic Four are hanging out in their building. Um, Johnny is reading a Hulk comic. And makes a crack about the Hulk reminding him of the thing, which the thing does not take kindly to, and so they start fighting. Then a giant net drops down over the building. Doctor Doom calls for Sue to come out. Ben Grimm is like, no way you're going to take my Sue. Well, he doesn't call her my Sue because he has to keep it secret that he's in love with her. Um, and Reed is like, yes, yes, you should go out, honey, because Reed is a terrible person. Um, so she goes out and Doctor Doom takes her prisoner and then takes all the rest of the three of them. If they want to rescue Sue, they have to come quietly. Uh, back to his castle or something um, in the castle. He says, Hey, uh, so I'm going to send you back in time because I can do that. And you're going to need to steal Blackbeard's pirate treasure. And they're like, sure. Got to get Susie back. We'll time travel for you. So they go back in time to pirate days. Ye old pirate days. Actually, even though it looks like it's pronounced ye, 
that's just another old way of spelling the. Mm -hmm. So every time you see ye old, it's actually the old. <laughs> but that's just a little side note. Linguistics minor here for you. Um, in Pirate Days, they do get Shanghai and taken on a pirate ship. And uh, at first they're like, what? We're on a pirate ship. But then they help the pirate ship against another pirate ship. And all the other pirates are like, yay! And um, Thing in his pirate disguise happens to have a black beard and a patch. And so they're like, yay, black beard, the pirate. And they're like, what the even Thing, you're black beard. He's like, yeah, I am. You know what? I'm going to stay here because I like being a pirate because I can be a person. But in the future, I had to be all, you know, reserved and withdrawn and hide inside trench coats. And they're like, oh, no, don't stay here, thing. And at that point, something <laughs> bad happens to attacks the ship. They get washed up on shore. They find the treasure chest, having washed up with them. And Rita's like, hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to totally lie and make up stuff to solve this problem like I do every single damn issue. We're going to take out the treasure put in chains because we only promised to bring back the treasure chest. Right. He did, he did not promise just to bring back the treasure chest. <laughs> he, um, he retconned it. <laughs> so um, at that point, they get taken back into the present and Doom is like, oh, it's just the treasure chest. And they kill Doom. Turns out he's just a Doom bot. He imprisons them all. Susan saves the day. And um, Dr. Doom puts on a jetpack and flies away and blows up his castle so that they cannot take any of his secrets. So um, for the first time, and they're going to harp, but they're going to mention this again at the end of five, one of the bad guys gets away. Yes. Um, That's not the first so, time. Well. Namer got oh, away. No, you're right. Second time. For the yeah. second time. In a row. At the end of, Yeah. So they're like, dang, we really got to up our game here, guys. Yeah, Namor got away and Dr. Doom got away. And that's the problem. That's the thought process I had. I, I mixed up my thoughts. I wonder what will happen next issue. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's funny that they use it to build toward issue six. I like that. Yeah. But at the same time, stopping the bad guy is a stipulation of the comics code. Um, not the Joker. He always gets away since the 40s. In the in, but yeah, but after 1954? Oh, after? Man, that's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. After, his, the comics code comes out in 1954. Oh, is that really a stipulation? Oh, wow. I yeah. Know that. They have to stop the bad guy at the end of the story. Wow. So Stan's a rebel, huh? A bit. A bit. That's awesome. Um, so Dr. Doom, yo. Love the Dr. Doom. I think it's fair to say that he becomes the most important character in this series besides the team itself. He's certainly their number one bad guy. I mean, um, I don't know if he is there for a while. I think Namor might be considered the FF's top villain for a lot of these early issues. Oh, uh, yeah, like, probably. But one know, could argue. We all know that Dr. Doom makes it to the top at this yeah. point. Um, and are your um, on your openings uh, splash page? Are your Dr. Doom hands miscolored? No. Well, They're colored yes, flesh tones. you're right. Flesh tone. That is miscolored. Yes. They're not but green. It's obvious from the line work that those are not hands. Those are. Yeah. The colorist just was obviously not paying attention. Obviously. Stupid colorist. Who hires these people? And then the editor wasn't paying attention. I tweeted out this image and someone was like, Doom Pets. Because he has a vulture here. He has a freaking tiger <laughs> later in the story because Doom has a tiger. <gasps> Did Doom blow up the tiger? Uh, oh my and God. the vulture, apparently, did. yeah. I think he blew up his tiger. They were probably Doombots anyway. Oh, he doesn't care. He's a villain. Um, so, 
as we were talking about last issue, does Stan think these are all like related universes? And here we have the Human Torch in the opening here reading the Hulk. Yeah, but it's a comic book. It's not yes. like... So how fast are these comic book makers? They hear about the Hulk and the next day have a Hulk comic out? Or is Stan saying that the Hulk is a different universe and Stan and the Human Torch is reading it just like we do? I like the idea that the Torch is reading comics just like we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that does not work with the later blending of the of universe. Course. Or even last issue in the with story. Namer's comic and then Namer being there. But Well, that's also cool because... I mean, there were Captain America comics in universe. True. Um, although that might not have been stipulated in the Golden Age, that might be a later development. Well, it's definitely. I like the idea of them having timely comics in the '60s from the '40s. Yes, but see, Hulk. Like, I could see a Namer comic and Namer also existing because he was around in the '40s, so they had plenty of time to make Namer comics, right? Right. But Hulk is seemingly two months ago, if we're going by publication date. A month ago, but yeah. A month ago, sorry. So. Like, they got this comic out already? Or he's not yeah. real. And they got it out at the same time we got ours because Johnny and I live in the same universe. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Just I think it think makes about. more sense if if, uh, if the Fantastic Four universe publishes Hulk comics. I do, too. You know, that also goes along with the idea of them meeting Stan and Jack in issue 10. Yes. So, obviously, you know, we're, we're debating about nothing because we know that they all share the same universe. That's why we're doing this podcast. But just I was just wondering, like you were saying earlier, like, what was Stan's intention for all I this? I am now on the lookout for the first link. Yeah. Well, it's going to happen soon. Um, by Avengers, anyway. Well, yeah, but Avengers is kind of a ways off. That's true. I'm pretty sure that Spider-Man visiting the Fantastic Four in issue one. Oh, yeah. And mentioning the Ant-Man. Oh, in that same issue. Oh, uh, that could be it. I don't know if the Hulk and the Thing crossover in issue 12 of Fantastic Four predates that or not. Okay, so officially, as of this reading, the only link we have is the Fantastic Four and the Marvel's Golden Age are linked in some way anyway. Right, in some way. Or at least Namor from that era is at linked. At least Namor, a Namor is linked. Okay, so moving forward. Uh, ben and Johnny fight. Okay, so... If you don't have anything about that, I'd like to get to it. I'm just going to note that it still seems really vicious. They are not friendly rivals at this point. No. They're still pissing each other off. And it's always really Johnny. Bad. Yeah, it is Johnny, isn't it? Johnny, Johnny really likes to play. To And honestly, the thing has the right to be upset. So here's how it is. Johnny is the younger brother and flicks the older brother in the ear. Older brother gets mad and punches younger brother in the face. Younger brother cries to mom and dad and says, hey, he punched me. And then mom and dad say, hey. Stop punching him. Right. That's what happens every time. So you see the thing is the thing is on the floor here, you know, and they're chastising him. Although I guess they put Johnny out with a fire extinguisher too. But it seems like the thing gets the brunt of the, the feedback when it comes to that stuff. And the um and then the net comes down. We get our first mention of asbestos. So here we are. What year was this? Nineteen sixty two? Mm-hmm. You could tell because a very convoluted and interesting origin is told in like six panels. Um, yes. It's like very fast and it's a lot of information and it's all read just like, Oh, I remember this one college kid and here's all the crazy, amazing things that happened to him in six panels. And then, yeah, that's him up there trying to capture us in this big net. So he's trying to get to, um, he's trying to get to sorcery, black magic through science. We get no explanation as to why he just wants because he's evil. He wants to do this. Of course he's evil. Yes. And I, I feel like the origin of Doctor Doom 
is the origin of Doctor Strange told in reverse. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and you know they'll add to it eventually. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic Four Annual 2 takes this idea and expands on it so much. I do think it's interesting that he is one of the few characters who embraces both um, worlds, you know, magic and science. Science and magic. And, you know, part of me thinks, oh, I don't like that. I'd rather the character, like, be all super science guy or super magic guy. But then you think, well, if you live in the Marvel Universe and magic does exist, like, it's verifiable, right? Then if you were Tony Stark, why wouldn't you ever dip your toe in it? See if you could figure it out. You're brilliant. Why can't you? Yeah. You know? It's it's kind of like... So Doctor Doom's a genius, really. Why not? I would not be an atheist in the Star Wars universe. Exactly. That's what I... Well, Atheism yes, you would. is not a virtue in itself. Yeah. It's a result of reason. No, you'd go around talking about midichlorians. <laughs> I'd be that guy. Yeah. They're just midichlorians. I just realized oh, the fantastic, that the uh, the Doctor Doom helicopter has a shark on it. What? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> random. So he was that their thing? Like he's going to be all about dangerous pets? Vultures and, I don't know. Sh- vultures and sharks and tigers? Oh, my. That's, <laughs> that's three dangerous animals that Doctor Doom is sporting so far. And like I said, they're all Doom bots, so his shark bot is just a helicopter also. So I assume, um, I don't know. Like I, I uh, uh, can't say that I'm the biggest Doctor Doom expert. Mm-hmm. I know there's more to his story than these six panels, but I thought that Reed Richards and Doctor Doom were like buddy buddies, right? Like actual friends at some point, or at least college, uh, you know, roommates or something like that. They knew each other in college. I think they had a somewhat extensive acquaintance in college, um, but. Doom was always evil, too like arrogant to want to associate with Reed. He was always uh, Voldemort. But I guess what I'm, my point is that in here, Reed's more like, I recognize that voice. There was like this student that went to our college a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say like my classmate or my roommate or my friend growing up or my enemy growing up. Like he acts like yeah. it was just someone he heard about, but he recognizes the voice. It's just some guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. we'll see how much uh, it's closer they make him later. Um, so, spoilers, he's trying to contact the Netherworld to reach the spirit of his mother. Okay. So that is his motivation. That's here. right. He had mommy issues. I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not just sorcery and black magic fascination. He actually hit, He's using sorcery and black magic because of his mommy issues to get in touch with his mother's spirit. Because he's trying to learn more from her about their gypsy traditions and everything right. else, and also just to talk to his mommy. But for the purposes of this comic, his goal is to get those, what, Merlin jewels to rule the world, essentially? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I looked it up to see what exactly the jewels were that he goes after later, and they are the stones of Merlin. They they magnify uh, the possessor's sorceress abilities. If only he had a time travel machine. But anyway, so... <laughs> so, um, this huge net thing, that's kind of silly... Um, yeah, a bit. And like, then, uh, I'm just going to throw a net over your building. You can't just ride the elevator down and crawl under it. And not to get all nitpicky, but somehow they let Sue out to become the hostage, but they all can't get out still. Like, why can't they just all rush it when she, he opens the net? Um, but they, they stay, the three in the net, and Sue gets the whole Wonder Woman bondage thing. Um, and did you notice that? And I mentioned this in the recap. Ben 
passionately comes to Sue's defense. Oh, yeah. There's no way you're getting your hands on her. There's no way she's coming out. Yeah. And Sue is, you know, putting a bold face on it. She's a smart woman. She's brave. She's courageous. And Reed's like, yep, you're right. You got to go. I mean, yeah. not going to let him hurt you, but I guess we're going to put you in danger. Yeah. Reed is the Reed is the, is the brains and thing is the heart, I guess. Um, He's still in love with her. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my... I think I think until absolutely. we get a relationship but, with Alicia, who by the way happens to look just like Sue, uh-huh. um, that yeah. But do you do you think that Reed's not in love with her? Um, I mean, he's not no, pulling Reed on he's is. not pulling on the net and saying no way over my dead body. He's saying you're right. You need to be the hostage while we figure this out. He's just not a good person. <laughs> okay, that's one way to look at it. Sure. He's not a very good and, – and, and the, I think, you know, that's the, – this kind of dynamic right here is at the heart of what's going to be the problem of their relationship later on, that Reed is a man of rationality and a uh-huh. man of science yeah. and rarely thinks with his passions. Never writes her a love note. Yeah. Right. And Ben, who's in love with her, is all like – Yeah. And Ben, of course, is a man of passion. Yeah, which is also annoying because he'll like – bust through the kitchen wall when you don't make him waffles right. So always make bed waffles. Always. Um, so yeah, you already talked about like, so here's the tiger. He's got the throne room and he wants to send him back in time. But this time machine thing, um, I've always thought was really cool looking because they use it again mm-hmm. and again and again and again. That's like his kind of staple time machine. It's just basically a square yellow thing that goes up and down. And when it goes over your body, you transport to, a different time. It's very simple, but it's just a very effective visual, I've always thought. Yeah, it's great visually. It's really hard to kind of think of exactly how that would, like, are your lower body parts in the time? Like, uh-huh. does someone else watch your body fade in? Like, <laughs> Right, yeah. With a, with a passing line? I don't mm-hmm. know. So, But I like the comics visual. And I love when they first get there, they have the whole Star Trek thing. It's first thing we need is clothes, right? Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I just love. It. Pay no attention to Ben. Yeah, he was no, but that's in a what's great. Accident. <laughs> that's what's great is I love how Ben just gets the clothes. He goes over and says, "These are mine," and they just run away. <laughs> it's like that was awesome, and uh, yeah, and he looks awesome as Blackbeard too. I think that's a yeah, great look does. for him. This whole part is silly and it's fun, and it reminds me of kind of the issue too with the scrolls. Like there was a lot of fun in that too. Like mm-hmm. like they're kind of trying to balance the whole. You know, they're always arguing and hating on each other with some. Like adventures that are just over the top and silly, which is what the Fantastic Four should be sometimes. And Ben is grumbling about having to wear this, but we've seen so far he likes being covered up. He so does. Even though he's grumbling, I think he I think yeah. he enjoys his disguise there, which kind yeah. of fits with later in the story. Yeah. Well, he got upset about the helmet and the full costume, too. So, so is Johnny drinking alcohol? I assume so. I assume they're all drinking the same thing. Yeah. And apparently Ben's metabolism is no better than anybody else's. Because <laughs> all three of well, them. Well, she slipped him a Mickey. Oh, I know. But I just wonder if, like, in today's storylines, it'd be like, that doesn't work on me or whatever. But Oh, you're right. You know, back in these days. Or, you know, Reed could say, my my flexible body doesn't allow for poisons or blah, blah, blah. You know, they always come up with some stupid reason. But I like that they all just three passed out. That's funny. Um, I love that, Fanta- that Re- Mr. Fantastic is wearing a pirate coat and pirate hat and wig, mm-hmm. but still has Fantastic Four pants and boots. Yeah. Because he stretches up later to punch a guy, and it's, it's you know, yep. stretchy pants. Yep. And they all wake up sleeping uh, on each other, and I love how the thing just comes out and, like, destroys the entire ship. Because, you know, none of this is really a challenge for him. Right. Um, and then... And the other pirate ship attacks, and 
there's a cool scene as we go into part four's battle with the human torch flying through the the sails of the other ship. Mm-hmm. One of the things we didn't mention that when we were talking about the first issue and, and the little uh, Bible plot synopsis is that the the comics code forbids him from throwing fireballs. Oh, I have and noticed. I don't know he, how long I've it takes him to stop it. start ignoring that, but they do start ignoring it. Good. Yeah, right now he kind of just blows through things. Mm-hmm. Like if he wants to destroy something, he rams it. And then later when he's attacking this, what they thought was Blackbeard's ship, he kind of just flies into the ocean and creates a bunch of steam so that the rest of them can attack, which kind of neutralizes him. But, you know, so yeah, you're right. He's not throwing fireballs. That would be much easier for him. And I got to say, I also think that Reed Richards uh, stretching is kind of coming into its own. I remember like the first three or four issues or, it was really kind of bugging me. Like, it's just so silly. Um, and either I'm getting used to it or Kirby is figuring out how to make him look um, reasonably distinguished while still stretching. Right. I, you were talking about earlier how he always keeps his torso together. And I yeah. see that both uh, going up to punch the guy on the mast and also reaching over to make a bridge. Yes. He never does, like, a stretchy neck with his head on the end of a noodle. Yeah, not anymore. Um, and then Ben flips out because everybody thinks he's awesome. So he's on a high for actually, you know, people actually liking him again. It's probably been a while. And I did some, I did some research on this, and it seems unlikely that Ben Grimm is actually the Blackbeard of this Earth. Okay. Um, people have actually put some thought into this because they come back to this story, they come back to the Stones of Merlin in this particular event, and they give a date to these events, mm-hmm. which is a century earlier than the actual Blackbeard. Oh. Blackbeard the pirate is more than a legend. He's actually there are legends based on around an actual person. Okay, um, who also does seem to exist in Earth six one six. So right. the thing's supposition here that he is Blackbeard the pirate is totally false. But he apparently is at least enough of a Blackbeard that he is the Blackbeard that possesses jewels that Doctor Doom wants, or are these jewels not even the right jewels? Oh, well, that brings up that whole question. Is this re- – oh, I didn't even think about that connection. Because we never really – So if he's not Blackbeard, then what What are these jewels? Well, they never do anything with them. They just bury them, don't they? Yeah. Oh, no, they throw them back in the water, I think. What do they do with um, them? Well, they – okay, I thought they took the gems out, put chains in there when they got to the, right. uh, the shore. Ooh. But they did that on the boat here, which means the stones of Merlin are washed to sea. Okay, so they are in the ocean. So the so question the, is whether they're magical or not. We'll never know unless they talk about it some other day. And the idea of this being Blackbeard's treasure is a logical inconsistency because this can't be Blackbeard. But this is the time period that Doctor Doom sent him back to. Sent them back to also. So a century Maybe before. Maybe Doctor Doom is actually wrong. Or this is the Blackbeard that has those jewels. I guess we'll never know. Maybe there are multiple Blackbeards. There could be. I can't even grow a Blackbeard. Uh, I can't grow a beard. So yeah. Yeah. That's why I read comics, kids. Uh, <laughs> to cover up my insecurities. <laughs> my lack of manliness. Life. Yes. Um, first Doom robot. I was surprised by that. I didn't know those were introduced so quickly. Right. Uh, Pretty great. So he. So technically, I've been tricked by a Doom robot, finally. You know, first time. First robot. Uh, once again, Sue saves the day. <laughs> Tied up, no less. But, uh, yeah. Dr. Doom's not paying attention. She blows him up. <laughs> or I guess, was that another robot? Or was that actually him? I think um, that was him. Yeah, that was him. So he just took a full, like, to the face. His console blew up big time, and he lived to tell the tale. So that armor works. 
yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I mean, the story has a better resolution. It does not seem to resolve quite as quickly. Um, no. And I was looking at the part where they're getting out of the cell and Reed like ties on to the post and it stretches across to the rock. Mm-hmm. I'm not even entirely sure how that helps. Like he's not pulling. Well, I assumed anything. he was because he. Why else do it? Yeah, I don't know. Right. He, but next he, to the thing's strength, which is which is more of a thing? The thing pushing the wall out or Reed Richards' stretchy pull? Do you think they were all in that building while he's doing that and they're just like, just give it to him? Yeah, I don't even know what he's doing what, right what now. What is he doing? Can, can, you push, can you push the wall? Yeah, just with pleasure. <laughs> I'll push the wall. And then Johnny makes the water so hot that it turns to glass. Um, or no, he didn't make water turn to glass. That doesn't make sense. He made the ground, the ground turn, turn to glass. Turn to glass. Heat. But it's weird because there's water on either side, but it's not drawn like the Moses water. It's not drawn where it's like sloped up. It looks like they're walking across the top of the um, moat. Yeah. But just Johnny, the Johnny feats so far have been ridiculously powerful, I feel like. So I don't know if they're going to rein those in or if he really is like the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four. But between this and Giganto, uh, you know, the Giganto whirlwind. What was his name? Giganto? Yeah. Yeah, Giganto. Though he makes the whirlwind to carry. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just craziness. He's super powerful until he uh, loses his powers for no reason multiple times. Oh. Can't go on flame dying. Yeah, that does seem to happen to him a lot also. Actually, this might be the first time that his flame dies from being weak other than the origin sequence. Yeah, true. It's always like a water or uh, fire extinguisher or something like that. Yeah, he's been doused, but he hasn't like run out of fire. Um. Yeah, Dr. Okay. Doom gets away. So, yeah, Doom gets away, just like Namor. Did we talk about that? Um, all right. So they've blown up the Mole Man. They've turned the scrolls into cows, and they've had one human foe imprisoned. Mm-hmm. But now we have two bad guys who are out there that have gotten away. Mm-hmm. And when the Thing is talking about it, next time I'll handle things my way, mm-hmm. it really sounds like he would rather be killing them. Yes. And I believe him. This Thing would definitely rather be killing them. Yeah. I think at this point in his life. Yeah. Maybe he thinks he would rather be killing them, but he's never actually killed anybody before, but he feels like he's a monster now, so that's where he that's that's where his heart is. Yeah, but all in all, I think pretty good first outing for Doctor Doom. Um, there's definitely a lot of unanswered questions, like I mean, you've already talked about his mother. They obviously didn't go into that here. He's got his own castle. Um Yeah, I think the story is better than Doctor Doom's role in the story. Yes, because like I said earlier, Doctor Doom seems introduced incredibly quickly. Kind of like an afterthought. Um, yeah. There's no buildup, really. It's like, hey, that guy that's putting a net around our building, that sounds like this one guy at college. You know, it's just very nonchalant, kind of. Um, but he's a very visually cool-looking character, always has been. We know he'll eventually be a, a formidable character, or if he isn't already. Um, I like, like I said, I like the technology merged with the magic. Although he didn't use a lot of magic in this issue, per se. It seemed like it was all tech, but... Um, but he's not opposed to it, which I like. Um, it's one of those things about Dr. Doom. Like, I don't actually think of him doing magical things very much. No, but he's all about reading about magical things and believing in them and, right. And talking to demons and making deals and all that. So he's not, he's not one of these science guys. that's just like, you know, closing his mind off to what's obvious magic that's in this universe. Uh, I like that Sue saved the day. Um, I like that we end another issue with Thing making a jab at the torch. The torch does not take it so personally this time, though. They don't pay off for also, Rams. <laughs> That's a good. Um, that was a good line. Yeah, 
And yeah, the the team is is whole. They're doing pretty well. Before we see them again, the Marvel Universe is going to get a lot bigger. And uh, there'll be several monthly titles introduced. And this issue, this series will join them as a monthly book starting next issue. Um, but yeah, that was the Fantastic Four number five. And I think that brings us to the end of our hour. I believe you're right. Well, we got two under the belt. Two down. Four um, million to go. Right. <laughs> Actually, two were just released as we were doing this podcast. So <laughs> we will never catch up. <laughs> It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. Um, I actually, when I was doing the Spider-Man Classic show, I actually entertained the idea of being able to catch up to Spider-Man. There's no way we're going to catch up with this, though. We just had no. to, we're just enjoying going through these yeah. this great era of the universe. Exactly. Um, any other thoughts? Um, just that if you want to subscribe to this show, you probably already are since you're listening, but all the information you need to know about following us, whether it's through your favorite social media or getting an RSS feed or finding us on iTunes, is all at makeoursmarvel.com. Um, and, and our email is podcast at makeoursmarvel.com, so you can send us emails. Yep. And, uh, when a few of those stack up, we'll probably do an email episode or something like that. Sounds fun. So, until the Hulk's great nemesis, the Gargoyle, has a son who comes back who looks just like him, make ours marvel. marvel.